First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. Well, good morning, church family. And if you have uh, your Bibles today, and I hope that you do, would you turn with me to the book of Proverbs? Uh, the book of Proverbs. This is now our third week uh, studying this uh, wonderful and very practical book together. We've seen uh, the past couple of weeks that there are really only two paths available to us in life. There's the path of wisdom, uh, which starts with fearing and reverencing the Lord, and then there is the path of folly or foolishness, and everyone in the world is on one of those two pathways. We've seen also that because Jesus Christ really is the wisdom of God, uh, that how we live in every area of our lives not only reveals whether we're walking on the path of wisdom or not, it also reveals whether we're walking with the Lord Jesus or not. And this series is called Wisdom for Life because in the book of Proverbs, we do find wisdom there for just about every area of life. Uh, Last week, we talked about wisdom for talking. And uh, it's all together in God's Word how the way that we talk very clearly reveals uh, how closely we are walking with the Lord Jesus. Today, we're going to see that the same thing is true when it comes to how we work or to how we fail to work. We're going to see that our work ethic or our lack thereof also reveals uh, how closely we are walking on the path of wisdom, how closely we're walking with the Lord Jesus. And I think that you would agree with me that this really is a huge issue in our culture right now, Uh, that we simply do not think about work uh, the way that our God thinks about work. On the one hand, in our culture today, there are many people who overwork, who make a God out of their work. And uh, the Bible certainly speaks about that quite a lot and the need for Sabbath rest and to have that balance uh, in our lives. In the book of Proverbs, though, it really tackles a different issue regarding work and one that uh, I believe may even be a bigger issue in our culture today. And that is that many, many people have honestly just become lazy and have forgotten how to really work especially if the only work that is available to them is work that is to be done outside or work that is to be done with our hands. I believe that we largely have created an entitlement culture today where many people believe that it is the responsibility of other people or the responsibility perhaps of the government to provide for their own needs and for the needs of their families. I've had many people tell me who work in the construction industry, for example, that despite unemployment being where it is right now uh, in our society, that they have a hard time finding anyone who's willing to come and work. And if they do find someone who's willing to come and work in uh, a trade, uh, they don't stay for very long. Uh, They'll come and, and perhaps their job is to lay block or to hang drywall or to paint or something along those lines. And Uh, Don't stick with it for very long. In fact, one person told me he had a a guy that came uh, to the job site and made it until lunchtime uh, the first day and uh, then left and walked off the job site and said, this job is much too hard. And uh, I see many of you shaking your heads because you likely work in those uh, industries and you know that this is the case. And yet you still might be thinking, but pastor, why are you talking about that from the pulpit? Uh, What does this have to do with 
the Lord. It's a societal problem. Well, it may be a societal problem, but according to the Bible, it is also a spiritual problem because we will see that our work matters to God. And not only that, but our work reveals the condition of our hearts. It says something. It is an indicator of where each of us stands in our relationship with the Lord. So let's jump into what God says in this book of Proverbs through the pen of that wise King Solomon. And I want us to discover today three wisdom principles about work and laziness. And here's the first wisdom principle. God says that working hard is wise and that being lazy is foolish. Working hard is wise and being lazy is foolish. And we see this all the way throughout the book of Proverbs. One of the most memorable places is in Proverbs 6, a passage that we'll come back to uh, again in a few minutes. But in Proverbs 6, Solomon says this, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, and so shall your poverty come on you like a prowler and your need like an armed man." Uh, This uh, was always my father's favorite passage to quote to me when I was a child growing up. And he would normally quote it to me on one of those uh, summer uh, days when when I was a teenager and I loved to sleep until, you know, the early hour of 10, 11 a.m. And uh, he'd come out and and he he would quote this, go to the ant, you sluggard. And it always stuck with me and stuck in my heart. But Solomon is telling us this, that we we can learn from one of God's smallest creatures. We can learn from just watching ants, watching the way that they work, watching the way that they lay up for themselves food and preparation for the winter months. We, We can learn from them. But conversely, if we are foolish and if we do not learn from them, just a little more folding of the hands to sleep, Solomon writes, and we'll have nothing when we need it. Again, over and over, we read this in Proverbs, working hard is wise and being lazy is foolish. Now, this teaching in Proverbs really connects back and ties back with everything else that the Bible says about this theme of work, even as far back as the book of Genesis. And, and so before we kind of go on to see what else Solomon has to say in Proverbs about working, I thought it might be good just to have a very quick, just basic biblical theology of what the Bible says about work. And really, there are three main truths about work that show up in this one uh, sentence. The Bible teaches that work is good, that work is hard, and that work is worship. First off, the Bible says that work itself is good. I know sometimes it may not feel like it's good, but uh, the work is not a result of the curse. It's not a result of the fall. In fact, God gave Adam work to do in Genesis 1 and 2 before sin ever entered the world. As people who've been created in the image of God, work is one of the ways that we image God who also works. And so work itself is a good thing. And yet the second part of that says work is hard. And it is hard. And in fact, it's harder than it was originally meant to be. 
after the fall, this is one of the things that God said to Adam. He said to Adam, cursed is the ground because of you. Because of your sin, all of creation is now broken, including the ground itself. And he said, Adam, now in your work, you're going to have to deal with these things called thorns and thistles before you can get the produce of the field. And you know, that still is true today. It doesn't matter what kind of work we're in, whether we're a farmer, whether we're a businessman, whether we're an engineer, there's always going to be thorns and thistles to deal with in every type of work that we do because of the curse, because of the fall, because we do our work in a broken world. And so work is good, work is hard, and then most importantly, work is worship. Because work is good, because it's one of the ways that we image and reflect God, we can worship God in the way that we do our work. And when we do our work well and we do our our work for God, we can glorify him through it. And, And this brings an amazing amount of dignity to all of our work. It doesn't matter whether we do our work inside the home or outside the home. It doesn't matter whether we put coveralls or a three-piece suit on in order to go to work. We, We can do our work, whatever that work is, in a way that glorifies the God who made us. And so with that background in mind, we jump back into Proverbs and we hear King Solomon telling us very similar things. What we hear King Solomon saying that God cares about, first of all, how hard we work. In Proverbs chapter 10, we read, He who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a wise man. He who sleeps in harvest is a son who causes shame. So Solomon's comparing two different hands, the hand of the slacker who doesn't want to do any work and the hand of the diligent who works hard. He compares two different sons, the son who works hard in the summer months and the harvest season, and the son who just sleeps right on through the harvest season. And we need to know that God sees both sons. And God sees both kinds of people today. He sees those who are working hard and those who, as we say, are hardly working. And it matters to him. When I think about all of the examples of hard work, I love the picture of the Proverbs 31 woman that comes at the very end of the book of Proverbs. Listen to this description and how much of it has to do with the way that she works very hard. It says she seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. She's like the merchant ship. She brings her food from afar. She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. She considers a field and buys it from her profits. She plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. She she stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. There's so much more that we could say about these beautiful verses, but we at least need to notice this truth uh, that very clearly as you read this passage, uh, our work matters whether that work is done outside of the home, whether that work is done inside the home, caring for the needs uh, of the family. 
And this is important because I know that there are many, uh, perhaps primarily stay-at-home moms who uh, sometimes can feel like, you know, does God really care about all these loads of laundry uh, that I am doing? Uh, Does God really care about all of these meals that I am cooking? Does God really care about this taxi service that I am running while I am transporting my kids all over town? And how encouraging is it to read here that, yes, he does care, that he sees all of it. He sees every kind of work that we do when we do it for him. And so God cares about how hard we work. Solomon says also he cares about how well we work. I love Proverbs twenty two twenty nine. It says, do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. If you excel at what you do, no matter what it is, as a general principle, people are gonna notice that and your work will gain a wider and wider audience. And even if in this life, people do not notice, point for us to always remember is that God notices, that he notices when we do our work with excellence, like he does his work and it brings him glory. And then most important of all to remember is that it matters to God who we are working for. Are we just working for ourselves? Are we just working for our own name, for our own recognition? Are we just working for a paycheck? Are we just working for the weekend? Or are we working for the Lord? In Proverbs 16.3, we read, commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. We're able to commit everything that we do and all of our plans uh, to the Lord when we trust in him and when we know that everything we're doing is ultimately for him. I love how Paul put it in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. We will do our work with our best effort when we know that we're not really doing it for a boss or for a human supervisor, but we're really doing it for the Lord who sees everything that we do and we're doing it for his glory. So again, our work matters to God. It matters how hard we work. It matters how well we do our work. It matters who we're doing our work for. And it really shows whether or not we're walking on that path of wisdom. Solomon really drives this point home about how God cares about our work by talking about the opposite, by talking about the one who doesn't work very hard. In fact, 17 times in the book of Proverbs, you see this individual show up. We've already heard his name, the sluggard. The sluggard is the lazy man. And over and over, he pops up in the book of Proverbs. So what I want us to do for the next several minutes is I want us to look at Solomon's portrait of a lazy sluggard in the book of Proverbs. And we're going to see nine different markers of a lazy sluggard. And and I would just tell you in advance that some of this is going to be convicting because we're all probably going to see ourselves somewhere on this list. And perhaps in multiple places on this list, because laziness is something that at different times or other in our life, we all will struggle and wrestle with. First of all, just at its simplest level, Solomon says, the lazy sluggard loves sleep too much. In Proverbs 20, Solomon just comes right after that. He says, do not love sleep, lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes and you will be satisfied with bread. 
I love the principle he gives in Proverbs 26, or excuse me, the picture he gives in Proverbs 26 about the lazy man. He says this, as a door turns on its hinges, so does the lazy man in his bed. You know, whenever I read that, I always think about the hot dog that you find at racetrack or 7-Eleven that's just turning on, on the little heater, right? And it's just, you know, you move from your side to your belly to your side to your back and back again, just turning over and over like a door on its hinge. And the Bible's not saying that sleep is bad. Of course, sleep is good. Sleep is a gift from God. Sleep is something we need in order for our bodies and minds to be healthy. The problem with the sluggard is that he doesn't want just enough sleep. He wants too much sleep. He always wants to sleep in. And he wants to sleep in even when he really should be up because there are things that he is responsible for that he needs to be attending to. And there, there's a warning, I think, in this for us. If we love sleep too much, and if we give in to that desire to take too much rest on a regular basis, we are really developing the character of a lazy person. And that habit, that tendency towards laziness will pop up in other areas of our lives. You know, when a lazy man finally does get out of bed and rolls into work, usually he's more of a nuisance than he is an actual help. That's the second thing that Solomon says about him. He frustrates people who depend on him to get things done because he usually doesn't get them done. And you see that in Proverbs 10, 26, as vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the lazy man to those who send him. Now, vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes are irritants, right? They're things that frustrate, they're things that bother us, and it's the opposite of something helpful. That's the same way with a lazy man when he shows up on the work site. He, he really, uh, you really would get more done if he wasn't there. He's more of a hindrance than he is an actual help because you cannot depend on him to do his work or to do it with excellence. Usually, though, the lazy person isn't going to show up for work anyway because principle number three, he loves get-rich-quick schemes to make money that don't involve any actual work. And Solomon warns his son about this as early as Proverbs chapter 1, starting in verse 10. He warns him about not falling in with a group of thieves and a group of dishonest people who are trying to rob and swindle other people out of their money. And then he returns to this theme over and over throughout the book. Proverbs 13, 11, he says, Wealth gained by dishonesty will be diminished, but he who gathers by labor will increase. In other words, he's telling us to earn money the right way by honest labor, not by dishonest schemes. And then in Proverbs 12, he says, those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. But oftentimes chasing fantasies is what the lazy man wants to do. He's about anything that will earn him a buck without him having to lift a finger. And that really ties into the next thing we read in Proverbs about the sluggard. His, lazy, his laziness is quite frankly ridiculous. And it is painfully obvious to everybody else except for him. Probably the most memorable proverb about laziness in the whole book of Proverbs is in chapter 19, verse 24, where we read this. A lazy man buries his hand in the bowl and he will not so much as bring it up to his mouth again. So you can see here, Solomon is just making fun of the sluggard at this point. 
He's saying he is so lazy, he puts his hand down in the food bowl, but he's too lazy to actually lift it to his lips to actually eat it. You know, when I, when I think about this, I, I can't help but think also of just kind of collectively where we've gotten to as a society. You remember when we used to actually shop for our, our groceries? I mean, it was a long time ago. It was like five years ago. You remember that? We actually had to go in the store and push the cart around, but we don't do that anymore, right? Right now, you can call up this wonderful place called Walmart Grocery. They will shop for you. They will pick out everything that you want. And then you just pull up in your car, you open up your trunk, and they will literally put your groceries in the back of your trunk for you. And then, you know what, if that is not enough, if you say, you know what, I don't even want to drive down to the store. Don't even want to do that. They will now pick out your groceries, put them in their car, drive them to your house, and put them on your doorstep. And, uh, you know, I think the only, only place we could go further than this is, why don't you just come on inside, cook the food for me, and drop it into my mouth. Could you do that for me? How much do I have to pay for that? And I'm saying, now we use Walmart grocery on the, all the time, right? I, I'm, I'm not being a hater here. I'm just saying this is kind of where we collectively have, have gotten to. And, and this is what he is saying here about this person who, who can't even lift the food to his mouth. It's, it's as lazy as it can get. The next thing Solomon says is something we can all probably relate to. Maybe have fallen into ourselves. He says the lazy person always has an excuse for why he can't get up and go to work. In Proverbs 20, he writes, the lazy man will not plow because of winter. He will beg during harvest and have nothing. In other words, I'm not going to go out and plow my fields. It's too cold outside. He'd rather stay in the warm house and preferably under the warm covers. Now in Florida, it's the opposite, right? I'm not going outside in the summer. It is too hot out there. I'm going to stay in the air conditioner, right? And then this is my favorite excuse that we find in Proverbs. Proverbs 22, this takes the cake for all excuses for not being willing to work. The lazy man says, there's a lion outside. I shall be slain in the streets. This is even better than the schoolboy that says, you know, the dog ate my homework, right? This person says, he calls up his boss and says, I can't come into work today. I opened up my curtains. There is a lion in my front yard. Now he's making fun of this person. We know that, right? Obviously, unless you're working at the zoo, there's probably not a lion in your front yard. But, but, but there's no end to the excuses that someone can come up with if they're just trying to avoid work. And do we not see this in our society as well? Now, now I hope you hear my heart on this. I, I'm not at all speaking to those who are really injured and are injured to a point where they are physically not able to do certain kinds of work. I'm certainly not speaking to those who are seeking work and are looking for work and yet are unemployed right now through no fault of their own. But we also know that there are people that are in our society who very obviously are abusing the system, who try to finagle any way that they can to live off of handouts, to live off of the charity of other people, and they always have an excuse for why they cannot work. Solomon says he had the same kind of people in his society 3,000 years ago. There is nothing new under the sun. Solomon says next that the lazy man doesn't realize that he's lazy and actually thinks he's smarter than everybody else. Proverbs 26, 16, the lazy man is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly, right? So you can't reason with him. You can't convince him of anything because he knows better than you do how to do the job. And if it weren't for that pesky lion in the street, he would get up right now and show you how to do the job that you're already doing. Maybe this last one is the most obvious when it comes to laziness, and it is this. The lazy man, the sluggard, talks an awful lot, but doesn't actually do anything. 
Solomon says, and all labor there is profit, but idle chatter leads only to poverty. You know, this really should be convicting for all of us because how many times in all of our lives have we said, I'm going to do something, but we never actually get around to do it. We talk about it, but we don't do it, right? How many husbands, right? Speaking to us husbands, right? How many times have we said to our wives, I'm going to get to that broken whatever it is, honey, real soon. I mean, I'm right on it. And six months later, it is still just as broken as it was the day that we said that, right? And this really ties into the next one. Uh, The sluggard starts projects, but is too lazy to finish them. Now, what about you, friend? How many half-started projects do you have? around your house, in your workplace, things you started, but you never got around to finishing them. It's like that a lot of times, Solomon says, with those who are lazy. They get excited about starting something new, but they don't have enough energy or work ethic or drive to actually bring that to completion. And he chooses kind of a ridiculous example to drive that truth home in Proverbs 12, 27. The lazy man does not roast what he took in hunting. And so the idea is he had enough energy to rouse himself up to go hunt and he actually was successful. He actually shot something, but then he brought it home and he doesn't have enough energy to actually cook it. He's hoping Colonel Sanders is gonna walk by and fry the food for him and drop it in his mouth. And this is how it is. This is the picture of of when we start something, but we don't actually finish. And then the last part of this portrait that Solomon gives of the sluggard is this. Because he neglects or procrastinates necessary tasks, his life is in a state of disrepair. And maybe my favorite passage on work and laziness in Proverbs is here in Proverbs 24, where we read this. I went by the field of the lazy man and by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding. And there it was all overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. And when I saw it, I considered it well. I I looked on it and I received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. And so here the sage is inviting us to walk with him arm in arm. And he wants to show us something. He wants us to walk with him down the street and, and, and to look at the house and look at the wall and look at the field of property that's owned by a lazy man. And he said, when I looked at that, I I learned something when I looked at that because I looked at it and the wall was all broken down. The field was all overgrown. There's no way he could be growing any crops or getting any food from that. And and he said, I thought about it. And I I realized this is how this happened. It happened little by little. It happened by one lazy choice after the next. It happened by procrastinating things instead of doing them while the sun was shining. And the same thing can happen in our lives. Lies. I know maybe you hear that and you say, well, I don't, I don't think I have any broken down walls around my house. I don't even think I have any walls around my house. And yet, as we hear this description and we think about someone whose life is in a state of disrepair, a state of disorganization, right? Is there anywhere that someone could go in your life and find something in a state of disrepair? What about if we went out to the parking lot right now and looked in your car? I know sometimes for me, it's, it's convicting. You look in my car and you know, you know it's bad when you find two wrappers from the same restaurant that you ate at different times in the last week. 
a state of disrepair, maybe in your house, maybe in your yard, maybe in your garage, maybe at your desk at work, things that are not organized. And listen, I'm not saying that, that this means we all need to be neat freaks and we can never have a mess anywhere. But, but again, if we're honest, are, are there evidences in our life that laziness and a lack of intention to things that are important have begun to sneak in? And the reason I'm asking you to think about this is because I think our tendency when we hear about this topic of laziness is to always think about the most extreme example we can think about. And so we think about, I don't know, maybe like that 35-year-old guy who is still living in his parents' basement, doesn't have a job, doesn't want a job, and plays Fortnite all day long. And we think, okay, that guy is lazy. But, but I'm not that guy. I mean, I have a job. I go to work. And so we, we think that because that, of that, that means we're not lazy, but only because we're comparing ourselves to the most extreme example that we can think of. But as many people have pointed out, laziness shows up in our lives in a lot of smaller ways. It can show up just when we basically in our heart would rather have other people do stuff for us than us to do things for ourselves or for others. It shows up when we procrastinate about things and we put them off to the very last possible moment. And because we do, we aren't able to do that good of a job. And really, we don't even want to do that good of a job. We just want to do a passable job. I think sometimes laziness shows up in our minds. It shows up when we use this mind that God has given us that he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we use it to watch six hours of TV. And we haven't read a book in a year. And we can't find time to read the word of God, to study the word of God, to memorize the word of God. We're falling into patterns of laziness in our lives. It shows up also when, when maybe we're always busy, we're always doing something. And so we think we're not lazy. And yet we always seem to find time for the things that we want to do, but not really enough time for the things that we actually need to do. And, and it's important that we understand this because we need to turn away from laziness. And there's many reasons for that. One that God reveals is wisdom principle number two. Just as a general principle, God says that hard work leads to prosperity and laziness leads to poverty. We've already seen that in many of the verses that we've read so far this morning, but we see it, for example, in Proverbs 13, 4, the soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. We see it in Proverbs 27. Be diligent to know the state of your flocks, attend to your herds, for riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure for all generations. When the hay is removed and the tender grass shows itself and the herbs of the mountain are gathered in, the lambs will provide your clothing and the goats the price of a field. You shall have enough goat's milk for your food, for the food of your household, the nourishment of your maidservants. Here he is reminding us that riches don't last forever. They can take wings and fly away. And it's why we don't put our trust in riches or the things of this world, but we trust in God. But he's still holding up this principle of hard work and that we'll work hard and we'll attend in this agrarian society to our fields and to our flocks. He says, you'll have enough when that time comes. Proverbs 28, he who tills his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows frivolity will have poverty enough. 
And then there's the passage we looked at earlier in Proverbs chapter 6, and we won't read it again, but where he says, go to the ant, you sluggard. But notice at the end of the passage when he says to us, if we don't go to the ant, if we don't learn how to be industrious from the ant, then he says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall your poverty come on you like a prowler, your need like an armed man. In other words, if we don't work hard, then we shouldn't be surprised when poverty and want and need comes upon us. It's just the natural result of the way that God has ordered this world. Now we need to remember that Proverbs does not give us ironclad promises, but rather the book of Proverbs gives gives us basic wisdom principles for living. So we, we cannot read these verses and think, well, you know, every person who works hard is guaranteed by the Bible uh, to be filthy rich. The Bible doesn't say that. And we also can't think that every person who is rich is rich because they worked hard, right? We know that's not true either. There are some people who work very, very hard in life and yet struggle to get by or have just enough. There are also some people who are very, very wealthy in life. And yet, as the proverb says, they were born with a silver spoon in their mouth, really did very little to acquire that wealth and are still basically lazy individuals. And yet this principle still applies, not as promises that will always come to pass in this life, but basic principles. Again, God has so ordered this world that in general, hard work in life tends to lead to success. And laziness in life tends to lead to a life of want. Certainly, this is one of the reasons why we want to teach our children from a young age to live wisely in this world that God has created and to work hard. To work hard in their schoolwork, because that's their job for right now. To work hard in their chores that are given to them, to finish the chores that are given to them. To work hard if they do take a job in their teenage years, to work hard in any service that they give to the Lord or to others. One of the reasons we should work hard is because as we've just seen, failing to work hard, being lazy in life tends to lead to a person not being able to provide for their families. But a much more important reason to not be lazy is because of what laziness says about our spiritual condition. It's why Paul said in the New Testament that a man who does not provide for his household, and by that I believe he means someone who does not even seek to provide for his own household, Paul says is, quote, worse than an unbeliever. In other words, whether we work, the manner in which we work, reflects where our heart stands with the Lord. And we can say that we are a believer, but if we do not work hard, we are not living like a believer, at least in that area of our life. And it doesn't matter, by the way, whether we have a three-hour quiet time in the morning, if then the rest of the day, we only do three minutes of actual work. No, our profession of our faith in Jesus is in part borne out by the way we live our lives. And the way that we work, it reveals what God has done in our hearts. Has his grace transformed us into the kind of a person who wants to work hard because we know our work is done for the glory of God. This is why a work problem is not just a societal problem. It's a spiritual problem. This work ethic that we have reveals the condition of our hearts. If we overwork and are making an idol out of work, or if on the other hand we are lazy or like most of us, if we have some of both. It really shows why we have a need for a savior. Because our laziness is a sin against God. And the Bible says the wages of sin 
his death. But here's the good news. Here's wisdom principle number three. God's son came to earth to do a work that we were not qualified to do. You know, this past week, I had the chance to take uh, my son Michael, uh, Micah on a, a special trip uh, to Atlanta. Uh, Micah and I went to see uh, the Braves game, the Wednesday night uh, game there, and uh, we ended up choosing wisely. It was the only game the Braves won this whole postseason, and now they're out. So we chose well, had a great time with Micah, but, but as we're on that trip and I was spending time with him, he's uh, just a few months away from turning 12. And I thought about the fact that he's right about the same age that Jesus was in the only story we know about Jesus during all his time growing up in Joseph and Mary's house. We we read this story in Luke chapter 2. Jesus was 12 years old. And Joseph and Mary took him on a special trip. They took him from Nazareth to Jerusalem for the festival. And they went there and then they left. The only problem was they left and they forgot Jesus. (laughs) You know, you never want to forget your kid. But if your child is Jesus, like you really don't want to forget him. And it's like, you want to say, Joseph and Mary, you had one job to do. Don't forget Jesus, right? Don't lose Jesus, right? But they lost him. So they realize it and they they go back to Jerusalem. They look for him everywhere. Finally, they find him in the temple and he's talking with the religious leaders and asking them questions. You remember that? And then Joseph and Mary come up to him and they're they're like, you know, basically we were worried sick about you. We're looking for you everywhere. Here's what Jesus said to them in Luke 2, 49. Why did you seek me? Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business. You know, Jesus knew from a very early age that the reason he was on the earth was to do the business, to do the work of the father that he had sent him here to do. A little bit later when he had started his earthly ministry and he was in Samaria, he said to his disciples, I have food to eat that you don't know anything about. And they said, what do you mean, Jesus? Does somebody bring you a ham sandwich or something? I don't know what you're talking about. And then Jesus said very plainly to them this. He said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And then in John 17, the night before Jesus went to the cross, he's praying to the father. And this is what he said to the father. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you've given me to do. Now, what was that work? Well, certainly it was everything that Jesus did. It was his teachings. It was his miracles. It was his training and discipling of the 12 disciples. But it certainly also includes the work that he was about to do. The ultimate work that he was sent here to do. The work of dying on the cross and paying for our sins and rising again on the third day. It was work that only he is qualified to do. It was work that because we are sinners, we desperately needed him to do. And praise God that when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he died for all of our sins, including our sins of laziness and making an idol out of our work. Because he did that work on the cross, there isn't any work left for us to do in order to be saved. In John chapter six, people asked Jesus, they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God. This is all you need to do. Believe in him whom he sent. I know we've talked a lot about work today because our work does matter to God. And as believers, we certainly wanna honor the Lord in the way we do our work and how we do our work and why we do our work. And yet I hope, church, that you hear very clearly today that salvation is not something that we work for. Salvation is not something we can work for. There isn't any work left to do. 
the work has already been done. Jesus finished that work when he died on that cross. And now all that is left for you and I to do, according to Jesus, is to believe in the one who sent him. To believe in God, to believe in his son, Jesus Christ, to turn from our sins, to trust in him and receive the gift of salvation that has already been earned through the blood and the broken body of the Lord. And I want to give you a chance, if you've never done that, to receive that gift through faith in Jesus right now. I want to ask you to stand with me, and I want to pray for us, and then I want to invite you to come. Father, I pray right now for anyone who is in this place who would say, I, I have never really received that gift, that gift of forgiveness. I know that I'm a sinner. I, I know that, Father, I, I've sinned in many ways. Father, I've been lazy. Sometimes I've, been, I've worked too much. And, and that's just scratching the surface of all the manner of sin, Father, that, that all of us have committed against you. And yet, God, your word says you love us anyway, in spite of our sin. That you demonstrated your own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so I pray right now, Father, for anyone in this room who, who needs to receive that gift of salvation, that they wouldn't try to work for it or earn it because, Father, that can't be done, but they would just come humbly before you with, with a brokenness of heart and say, God, here I am, a sinner, but I believe you love me and Jesus died for me. And Lord, I know when they come to you with a heart like that, Father, you will by no means cast them out. Father, I pray also today for all my brothers and sisters in this place who have already received that gift of salvation. Thank you, God, that you've covered our sin, all of our sin, including our sin of laziness. But God, this week, as a people who've been called by your name, Lord, we want to work in a way that pleases you. We know, Father, you, you care about every area and part of our life. There isn't any part of our life that you turn a blind eye to. You tell us to worship you in everything that we do, even in the way that we eat and drink, certainly in the way that we work. And so, God, this week, would you help us to worship you in a way, through the way that we work, to do it with all our heart, Father, to do it for you. In Jesus' name, we pray.